Welcome to Album Divers. This is a podcast created by two music lovers who still remember listening to albums from start to finish the way the artists intended. We give history, track-by-track analysis, and delve into the music lyrics of some of the best albums of the past and today. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in. Welcome to Album Divers. I'm Shane. And I'm Trevor. On this podcast, we discuss two albums per month. One of us chooses a new album from this calendar year, and the other chooses an album that's been around a while. All right, and we're on the 2020 pick this time, and that was you, Shane. What do you got for us? We're going to pick up the pace a little bit today and review the newly released album by AWOL Nation titled Angel Miners and the Lightning Riders. glad you picked up the pace on this one. This is a little bit different, I have to say. This is something that pushed me out of my comfort zone a little bit and a big turn from what we've done thus far, but man, it was a fun listen. Yeah, I didn't really know much about the band except for their hit single, Sail, uh, that was released four or five years ago now. But I saw them come up when I was looking at new albums for 2020 and knew they were more of an upbeat, new age sounding band, and I thought it'd be fun to check them out. And I really enjoyed the album from start to finish, the variety of genres and sounds that they cover. It was a lot of fun. That's exactly the same for me. I knew the name of the band, and then when I was looking them up, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that song Sail, but I hadn't had those two connected. I didn't realize that AWOL Nation wrote Sail. Did you know the song and the band went together, or you just knew them separately? Yeah, I, I knew of them from that song. And going back through some of their old records... I realized there were a couple other songs that I think must have become radio hits that I'd heard as well, but that was the the hit single that I associated with them. Other than that, I didn't know much about the band. I had never done a full listen through an album or checked out much about them. So it was it was a good exposure to them as a band and allowed me to go back and look at some of their old stuff and familiarize myself with their music. Yeah, and it was fun, too, to find out. I know you're going to go into it on the history, but in addition to just being one of those albums you can put on and listen to and just enjoy, some of the lyrics do come out of some personal experiences for him, which was kind of fun, and it was fun to be able to have both those opportunities with this album. You could sit down and listen to it, read the words, and get something out of it, or just put it on in the background and enjoy it. I know you and I were talking about this being awesome workout music. Yeah, definitely. And for you, mowing the lawn music. (laughs) That's right. I had my first listened through when I was mowing the lawn one sunny afternoon and it got me kind of pumped up. Not that you really need to be pumped up to mow the lawn, but (laughs) it made the experience a little more exciting. (laughs) You were posting about this on Facebook. Did you PR your lawn mowing time while listening to this album? I must have because I was really in the zone. It got me fired up. I'm sure that's a big selling point for this one. Yeah, definitely. They're marketing that as we speak, I'm sure. For sure. Like a lot of albums we've talked about in the past, if you do your first listen through without really focusing in on the lyrics, you're out for a run, you're mowing the lawn, 
you're doing chores around the house, you don't really dive into the lyrics enough to understand where the band was coming from or start to make connections uh, to the music. So for me, the first time through, it was a fun, uplifting album. I love the sound. It got me excited. I was even finding myself singing along pretty early with some of the catchy choruses. But then, as you mentioned, there are some personal lyrics that reflect on a, a time in the lead singer Aaron Bruno's uh, life that was challenging for him. And once you know that story, the background that we're going to get into later, and you go through the lyrics with headphones, without any distractions, and you really zone in on that, you start to empathize with where he was as a writer when he was putting these songs on paper, and the album starts to mean something a little bit different. I think this might be one of the best examples of how music can be whatever you want it to be, because you could easily put this album on, not really read the words, and just enjoy it. It's so much fun, and there's nothing wrong with that. We started this podcast being music nerds, that mm -hmm. deep dive, and we're going to keep doing that, but if someone wanted to just listen to this and enjoy it, these are some of the catchiest songs I've heard in a long time. That's that's music too. That's music experience and absorption as well. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's funny. My my dad asked me this morning what album we were reviewing today because he knew that I was going to be recording with you, and I told him AWOL Nation, and of course he hasn't heard of them. But he said, "Oh, what kind of music?" And I had to stop and think and try to explain what type of music. I said, uh, "You know, it's it's rock, but um, crossover to a lot of other genres." Some people have described their sound as alternative, electronic, electro-pop, indie, dance rock, even even some crossover into hip-hop and some harder rock, a little bit of screamo here and there, but it's not the intense hardcore except for a couple places, but it's seamlessly woven into some other lighter, softer sounds. So you really can't put a, a genre on these guys or, or lump them into a certain category. I know you said that they kind of reminded you of uh, 21 Pilots, which is another band that people say you, you really can't put them in a category because they're really different. And I even read in an interview that Aaron Bruno came to the realization that he's making genre-less music and he doesn't want to be categorized, but he's just trying to make cool sounds and, and music that everybody will want to listen to in some capacity. Yeah, I think as we do the deep dive into albums, one of the challenges I think for artists or my appreciation for an album is you, you want to have enough diversity that you put it on. The, the common phrase people say if they don't like something is like, ah, oh, it all sounds the same to me. Mm -hmm. But then on the other extreme, it's it's not cohesive. Like this doesn't even sound like an album. This song could be this, this song could be that. And this one, like you said, it does bring on a whole bunch of different genres and styles of music but somehow as, as you put it on and go through it all it does go together certainly songs don't all sound the same not even close but on the other hand somehow it all still sounds like a, a piece of work as one too yeah. so it's, that's a tough balance I think for musicians and artists to have mm -hmm. yeah and and to construct it as we mentioned we'll get into later there is a unifying theme of a lot of these songs connected to an event and Aaron Bruno's life. But from a, a musical standpoint, from a sound perspective, in order to create an album that somebody can listen to from start to finish, there has to be enough of that diversity, but also it be cohesive, like you had mentioned. And that's one thing that I appreciate or that I 
place a lot of high merit on if I'm critiquing an album. And that's something that has the ability to take you as a listener through uh, a variety of sounds that give you an experience. And that's something that I picked up on right away in this album, even though he throws in some hard rock and some intense drum beats and, and some screaming in there. It's not so much that somebody who doesn't like that would say, oh man, I can't handle this. They just piece it in places where it adds to the album. And for somebody who doesn't really normally appeal to that sound, it's probably okay with them. And then they have enough softer sounds and softer songs that go a different direction that you're never really stuck on one particular sound as a listener for too long. So if you don't like it, just hang around for a little while and they're probably going to expose you to another sound that you are going to like. So by the end of the album, there might be three, four songs that you really love, but the rest you can tolerate because of the way it's it's pieced together. Yeah, that's that's definitely true on this one. Uh, just going to get into the background uh, a little bit. Formed by and fronted by lead singer Aaron Bruno. The band is currently signed to Better Noise Music. The current members include Aaron Bruno, who is the lead singer and plays rhythm guitar, Isaac Carpenter on the drums, Zach Iron, who is lead guitar. Something interesting about Zach, he is the son of Jack Iron, who is a former drummer for Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam, so some good lineage he's coming from there. Oh, no way. I didn't read that. Yeah. Daniel Saslow on the programming keyboards and Michael Goldman on the bass guitar. Another fun fact, the name AWOL Nation comes from Aaron's high school nickname, in an interview with LA Music Blog, he said that in high school he would often leave without saying goodbye because it was just easier for him that way. And his friends started to call him AWOL, which is slang for the military acronym absent without leave. In the military, leave means you've requested permission to go off the base or go outside of a certain radius and you're accounted for. If you go AWOL, that means you've essentially disappeared without telling anybody. Uh, we already mentioned the musical style when we were talking about their diversity of genres earlier. Getting into the history of the musical past of Aaron before AWOL Nation, in high school, he had a punk rock band called the Ice Monkeys with his friend Drew Stewart. The two of them later joined forces with Todd Burns and Ray Blanco, to form a post-grunge band called Hometown Hero. That band eventually was signed to Maverick Records in 2001, and they toured with some pretty popular acts, including Stone Temple Pilots and Linkin Park. However, they disbanded in 2004 after the band trashed the stage and was also cited as refusing to shoot a music video with a director chosen by that label. And after that, Aaron formed AWOL Nation. He has said that being a member of a number of bands over the years with different genres forced him to put his voice through the ringer, so to speak, to find a style that fit him. And many people would describe his vocal style as a combination of screamed aggression with various elements of falsetto and a lower belted out vocal. He's quoted as saying, the first time I tried to scream, it was bad. You know, any, anyone can scream, right? If there's a burglar in your house, you're probably going to scream. It takes a while to find a way to do it without losing your voice completely. I'm not the master of every sort of singing, but I really came into my own around AWOL Nation's first record, referring to his ability to hone in that scream and his musical style and how it connected with some of the other sounds. I think I read too when he was young, he would do rap battles. 
Oh yeah, I didn't see that. Did you see that? Yeah. But so that explains some of the hip just... hop influence. Right. Right. Yeah. In fact, that gets me into my next section I wanted to talk about, which is his musical influences. This speaks volumes on his eclectic mix of genres in his music. For influences, he lists Madonna, Michael Jackson, and Prince, along with early influences as a child in the 90s, including Rage Against the Machine and Metallica. He also cites Public Enemy and N.W.A., as two rap groups that really struck a chord with him growing up. Yeah, that's quite a mix of artists. Yeah, definitely. He also mentions that his favorite band of all time, one that you and I have discussed when we when we talk about best grunge bands of all time, is Nirvana. And he attributes that to their 1994 release of the MTV Unplugged concert. He said it's just recently that he has come to determine that that is his favorite band. He also states that he was especially inspired by Radiohead's album, OK Computer. He also cites albums like The Flaming Lips, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, Alt-J's An Awesome Wave, and Minnie Mansion's self-titled debut album as albums that he can still listen to back to front. And he even said, I like music that appeals to everyone at this point in my life, stuff that our parents could listen to, as well as people that are hip artistically and everything in between but these are three albums that I, I can still listen to front to back yeah i'm on board with him on those for sure some interesting facts about aaron's personal life he's an avid surfer and a fan of baseball he says if his music career hadn't taken off he'd probably be a baseball player he's even thrown out the first pitch for the chicago cubs and the la dodgers another interesting fact about him is that he's 80 percent deaf in his left ear this is something you mentioned to me, Trevor. He was born that way, and that definitely affects the way he chooses to pan his instruments, uh, targeting his favorite toward the right. He also says that when he goes to a theater, he'll sit off left so that he can hear more through his good ear. He even jokes that his wife will still talk to him in his left ear, even though he can't really hear much. And he said that if, if he wants to block out somebody, he'll just either lay with his left ear up so his right, right ear is down on a pillow, almost like a built-in noise cancellation device, or he'll sit on the right side of somebody so that they're not coming through as strongly into his left ear if he wants to sort of block it out. It's a nice little excuse to have. Not yeah, that I'd want to wish right? my hearing away, but... <laughs> but definitely has has to be challenging if he's listening to an album and the band happens to pan a lot to the left side uh, I wonder if he listens more in, in mono yeah that's a good point so as we mentioned his first notable hit was Sail that peaked at number 17 on the Billboard Hot 100 and number 4 on Billboard Rock Songs and I was a bit off in saying it was 4 or 5 years ago because that song was on his debut album megalithic symphony released in 2011 so they've been around for nine years he released another album titled run in 2015 here come the runs in 2018 and then this latest album angel miners and the lightning riders was released on april 24th 2020 one notable milestone is that they toured with 21 pilots uh, beginning in october of 2018 now we mentioned that they're both bands that have a similar sound but you can't really lump them into a certain category so as we mentioned earlier this album centers around an event in aaron's life that was 
a trying time for for he he and his wife. On November 9th, 2018, Aaron's home music studio was destroyed during the Woolsey fire. It hit him pretty hard, reflecting on all the experiences there and seeing that disappear. As a result of not having a studio, Bruno had to record the entire album in his bedroom. He told Billboard that he approached the creation of Angel Miners and the Lightning Riders as if he had never made an album before. He wanted to act as if he had no success and really prove to himself that the success he had in the past was not an accident, that he truly has something special that people enjoy listening to. So he challenged himself to clear his head and and think from the ground up, starting from scratch, and try to put together a really good album as if he's attempting to to win over people or really showcase his talents and not simply piggyback off of some old sound and force an album. Yeah, I read that he said that the fires almost gave him an inspiration and that the limitation of the recording studio now being in his home was almost something that fostered some creativity, like it just sort of got him into a different frame of mind and led to some decisions and some things he wouldn't have maybe done if he had the studio that actually shaped the sound of this album some. Yeah, that makes total sense. When you put yourself in a brand new environment, you know, you are almost forced to reconstruct something. Even even if you set it up the same as, as the old studio, there's not that level of comfort that you have or that familiarity of I've I've done this here before, I've recorded this album. It's a new place. And potentially that made him simplify things, strip it down a little bit, and get back to the the basics of constructing an album. Yeah. So a lot of these songs we'll talk about are a reflection on his experiences dealing with the fire and the aftermath. There's also an underlying theme of this tug of war between good and evil, that bad things happen and there's that temptation to, to dwell on that or get mixed up in those emotions, but that there's also a lot of good forces in the world that balance that out and they're, they're in constant struggle or battle with each other. Yeah, and a lot of artists during this time of COVID-19 decided to delay the release of their albums. And I, I read that with that metaphor in mind, he felt like COVID kind of fit it. You know, we're all dealing with this together in our own ways. And so he didn't want to delay the release of this album, like some artists were with their albums coming out around this time. That's really cool. Well, I'm ready to get into the track-by-track analysis. Anything else you want to add on the band? No, I think this is a good time to do it. Let's jump into the first track. First track on this album is called The Best. This first song on the album was released last year in November, I believe, 2019. So this came out quite a ways before the release of the album. Many critics have noted that AWOL Nation tends to start their albums with a very popular track that typically becomes one of the hit singles. And they've definitely done it again with the best, setting the tone for the album. This one really gives you a feel for the the workout uh, type music with the mentality of, of wanting to be the best. Yeah, definitely the lyrics and the sound of it. When you said this is good workout music, I think you 
I think you sent me this song when you decided, all right, here's what we're doing for my new pick. And that's what I, I first thought, too. And I didn't really listen to the lyrics right away. And I was just thinking, all right, it's upbeat and it's talking about I want to be the best. You could you could see an updated like Rocky movie or something like that with yeah, this playing in the background. Too. But then you go deeper into the lyrics and you realize it's kind of self-deprecating. Like the chorus is like, I want to be the best. Yeah. And then he jumps da- down into the words and it's, I think the first word other than the chorus is I'm hardly perfect. I'm barely good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of liked that, that it was not him just boasting and, and um, puffing his chest up. He was kind of like talking about what he wants to be and what he is. And that was kind of a cool contrast, kind of like the Angel Minor Lightning Rider thing. He's got one voice in his head saying... I can do it, and then maybe the other one saying, "No, you can't." Yeah, Good contrast. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he he said he came to the realization that he'll never be the best at anything. So he thought he'd write a song about it. His hope was that it would motivate people. He says it's it's always fun to aspire to be the best of something, even though it's in fact not really possible. And especially in today's day and age of competing to see who can get the most likes have the most followers and sort of this kind of superficial world we're living in. Although it's probably been this way since the beginning of time, it seems a lot more evident and there's more proof of it with social media. So this song, while I can see a lot of people being inspired to train harder and get more radical in that sort of way, and now that this song is out, I've had a lot of time to think about how to explain the messaging of the song and its actual meaning. I realized that simply put, it's about finding and discovering the best version of yourself. And uh, I think that's what you're alluding to with some of those lyrics. I'm hardly perfect. I'm barely good. You know, but I want to be the best. So it's this idea of constantly seeking it while at the same time realizing that, you know, you can only be your best. You can only be the best version of yourself. But the goal shouldn't be to be better than everybody else because that's not very realistic. Did you watch a music video for this song? Yeah. I did. That kind of changed my perception of them as well. Like I said, I wasn't immediately on board. You sent sent me this and I was like, ah, I don't know if this is my style of music, mm-hmm. which again, this is one of the fun things about doing album divergence. Yeah, is, yeah I uh, think I challenged you on this zone. one a little bit. I'm glad you did. I had a good time <laughs> with this. But the music video was cool. He didn't really look like how I thought he would look for one thing. Yeah. And then, I don't know, just the way he carried himself in the video, he kind of like had his head down, like he was sort of shy the whole mm-hmm. time. And I just thought that was kind of a cool contrast with the sound of it. Yeah, you get the impression that it's it's like potentially an in-your-face, intense guy who is very eccentric or extroverted. But when you, when you watch Aaron in, in the interviews, he seems like a, a very humble guy from some of his videos 10 years ago to even today, he comes off as a very uh, soft-spoken, quiet, humble character, but then obviously his music is, is an outlet for him to let out some of that aggression and firepower and show us other other sides of him. Yeah, I just had a different image of him in my mind Yeah, I hear based you. on the sound and, and then again what I thought the song was about, and then I watched the music video before I read the words and then all that started coming together a little bit. He definitely yeah. does look like a surfer, though. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Or a baseball player. <laughs> What's with the jean jacket, though? I don't know. He's Bringing wearing it back. that in yeah. tons and tons of, uh, yeah. of interviews and stuff, I noticed. He doesn't strike me as the type of guy that really cares about fitting in with the masses. 
keeping up with appearances. He kind of has his own style, his own music, you know, he, genreless music and this constant exploration of new sounds and new ideas and, you know, his own, his own person, his, uh, his own image. Yeah, it's kind of ironic that I, I think this is what his, you were talking about some of his past bands, at least his, this is at least his third band that he's been in. Mm-hmm. And I agree, it seems like he's just sort of doing what he feels like doing, both maybe with the jean jacket and the, and the yeah. music. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading something where he said, like, this wasn't going to work either. He wasn't really expecting AWOL Nation to take off. And mm-hmm. some of the early radio disc jockeys heard Sale and said, yeah, well, what is this? Like, it's great, but what station am I going to play this on? You know, this doesn't sound like anything on this one right. or that one. So in some ways, maybe just the fact that he had failed at some of his other bands, failed being too strong a word, he wasn't, mm-hmm. didn't reach household name in some of his other projects, Right. maybe gave him the freedom to just be like, I don't care, I'm just going to do what I want, and ironically, sure. that's what yeah. ended up being successful. I went back and listened to some of those songs from his older projects, and I think he, he's taken the best, no pun intended, from those albums and th- those experiences, and incorporated that within a wall nation sound and potentially the reason why he didn't have a ton of success with those is that maybe they were too genre focused he had a punk band he had a post grunge band he was maybe appealing to a certain sound because of the era because of the time that people were wanting that sound and there was a lot of competition and maybe they didn't stand out as one of the better bands and therefore they didn't become one of the best but with AWOL Nation, they've taken a variety of those sounds and they've created their own space where they're appealing to people that are not necessarily seeking out this type of sound or music, but when they hear it, the uniqueness about it, the versatility maybe is what lends itself well to a certain crowd of people and is what has allowed them to become popular and create their own own space to be in some regards the best at what they're doing because hardly anybody else is doing it besides maybe... 21 pilots and yeah i want to throw imagine dragons as a possibility in there but i almost hesitate to say it because they get made fun of a lot i think they're a lot better but there's still a there's still some kind of a a comparison in sound i could hear yeah just with the style in them but you're right that point being there's not a there's not a huge group of bands that you'd compare this to they they overlap genres for sure yeah i'm not sure if if the two bands toured together but i know from an interview that I listened to that Imagine Dragons opened for AWOL okay, uh, yeah. back in the early 2010 decade. Must have been after Sale in 2011 that, that uh, led to their popularity initially. So somewhere maybe around 2012. All right. I'm on to something there, I guess. Yeah. So definitely have a similar sound. And I think he, he mentioned that that uh, he and the lead singer are friends and, and uh, they've done some collaboration or, um, you know, shared some experiences and knowledge over the years but it seems like imagine dragons has ventured more off into the pop genre and and awol dabbles in in the pop as well so there are certain songs you could handpick that are real similar but as a whole if you look at their whole discography or one album even from start to finish there's definitely some contrast between the two bands yeah musically one of the things i really liked about this song is the female vocalist in the background and she's in the music video as well. Her name's Alice Merton. I had to look her up. She also makes some electro pop. She's a Canadian, German, British singer songwriter. And I like how she's mixed in this. She's not 
singing a lot, but you can hear her just in the background, kind of an octave up during the chorus and then the word, the best. And it adds a kind of a cool contrast, especially on the chorus too. When he's singing the beginning part, the word best falls on the beat. But then mm-hmm. um, when it gets to the end of it, there's that rest part in there where it's, yeah. I just want to be the best. I Right, Which I think right, is kind yeah. of cool, and you can hear her her vocals on that part that added a cool element to it. Yeah, definitely. Did you notice the end of that song where all the music cuts out, and then you just hear him kind of go "Yeah" in the background? No, I missed that part. Awesome. I'll have to listen for that when I go back. We want to move on to the next song. Yeah, let's take a listen to track two. This one is titled "Slam" (parentheses Angel Miners). Right, so Slam starts a little quieter after the best kicks it off a little faster, and it's got those words that fit the sound, always someone watching over you. It doesn't really sound like, in talking about the theme of the angel miners and lightning riders, it doesn't really sound like the good guy is watching over you in this part. It sounds a little ominous and looming. What do you think? Yeah, that's that's the vibe that I got from it, too. I think the music video helped with that because we see those creatures with that one eye in the middle of their forehead and they're they're acting kind of strange alien like and then when when the beat drops after that part where it says bounce 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 slam and then it's do 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 that was fun yeah slam you see them floating through the air as if they're looking over the city keeping a watch on people. Yeah, Aaron Bruno alluded to that in an interview talking about this song. He said it's about beating evil and trying to put a face on why some things are going bad. It could be a disease or natural disasters, he said. A lot of times all we want is to point a finger, and I decided to create these fictitious characters to represent both sides of things, and the angel miners are the evil ones causing all this stuff. He also went on to say, if there's one song that feels like the soul of this record, it is this one. It's about my day-to-day grapple with good and evil, trying to look at the world half full. I still struggle at it. Yeah, that's cool. I was interpreting that dance part with the words that come right after it, where he says, me and my angel, we can do the twist. So it sounded like him dancing with the devil, sort of. People Mm -hmm. talk about that phrase, dance with the devil. It was almost like he was deciding... Uh, maybe we can just make this work. I won't let evil overtake me, but I can't really push it out either. So maybe we can coexist. I like that interpretation. Musically, it's it's really cool. It's more of an avant-garde sound with, with the experimental animated and alien-like uh, music that we hear. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was really unique, some, something that I hadn't really heard before or that I could remember hearing in the past. This is the first time we hear him do one of his screams. It's not quite as intense as it gets near the middle or especially the end of the album, but we start hearing that he's got that ability on the second track of this one, if this is your first album, listening to Evil. It's cool too that he worked in some lyrics that might fit some of his experiences or interests. That first word of the song, Riptide Worldwide, I know he's a surfer, so 
something he could relate to as far as uh, painting a picture of some disaster maybe happening. Yeah, yeah. If you think about the fact that he's reflecting on the fire as one of those natural destructive forces, it is kind of like a riptide in, in the way that it covers such a big area so quickly. But then the connection to the, the surfing as well, that's probably why that term was in his vocabulary and it definitely fits. I think good location on an album too because it brings the pace down a little bit from the first one but also introduces those characters pretty quick. Aaron had said that this song is the heartbeat of the lyrical content of the album. To put Mm -hmm. that at number two is a nice place to do it as you continue for the rest of the album so you kind of have an idea of what Angel Minor and Lightning Rider is all about. All right, well, should we move on to track three? Yeah, let's take a listen. Track three is titled Mayday. Fiesta Fever featuring Alex Ebert. As I mentioned, the song features Alex Ebert. He is a composer and singer-songwriter, best known for being lead singer and songwriter for the American bands I'm a Robot and Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. This song definitely picks up the pace a little bit. Yeah, I read a quote about Aaron and Alex. I guess they've been friends for a long time, and he said, I've known Alex since we were much younger and much more wild before Mm -hmm. he was doing Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And I guess with this one, he said they dug back into the punk rock disco flavor that made him fall in love with Alex's songwriting. He goes on to say, also people have a hard time describing my music as you and I were talking about. Mm -hmm. Rock and roll, electronic, hip hop, undertones. So I wanted a song that was furthering that point. It's definitely genreless. And yeah, to start off with uh, mariachi instruments certainly furthers that confusion of what is this band? Yeah, lyrically, it's a pretty simple song. The theme is that all this guy wants to do is is party and play rock and roll. And if you've seen the music video, it's it's very party club scene with the disco lights and, and everybody jumping around wild and crazy. And, and by the end of the, the song, it's almost like, like the character has had too much. And uh, that's where he starts screaming Mayday. title of the song is Mayday with three exclamation points and at the end it's very apparent uh, why it's it's written up that way but uh, in, in general as you all probably know Mayday is a phrase that that uh, you would throw out there if, if you needed to be saved you know it's a, a distress call via radio communications we're in trouble help and so although the song starts out with him saying all I want to do is party and have a great time. By the end, it's almost like he overdid a little bit and said, hey, get me the heck out of here. This is too much. Ah, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't make that connection. That that makes sense. Yeah, I watched that music video too. I, I liked um, seeing a little bit of their sense of humor when they're peeking out behind the aisles of the convenience store on that ah, yeah. ah, 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 yeah. part was yeah. kind of made me laugh. I read that he failed high school Spanish, which I thought was an interesting thing to mention with this song, starting Mm -hmm. off with that mariachi sound, and Mm -hmm. he was retaking it, and that's where he met Drew Stewart, um, who he was in a high school band with, 
called, okay. I think you mentioned Ice Monkeys and also right. Insurgents and then later Hometown Heroes. So yeah, I forgot to I mention thought, Insurgents. That was another band I checked out. Yeah, yeah, and I thought, oh, that's kind of serendipitous. Maybe right. the failing of Spanish is what, who knows, led him down the path <laughs> to music in one form or another. So throwing a little mariachi yeah. instruments at the beginning, maybe kind of a funny funny homage to that. Maybe not, but it certainly made me think about that. Mm-hmm. Definitely another one of those workout or, or party songs where, where you could throw it on a playlist and it would fit right in. It, it stands alone. Yeah, we talked about workout music, sometimes maybe in this album, dance music. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I thought of is this could be a good driving song. I could see this in like a car chase in the Fast and the Furious or something with yeah. things exploding in the background. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was playing this album, driving around the other day, the weather was really nice and I had the, the sunroof pulled back and I found myself turning it up a little bit, mainly because I was excited and getting into the music and having a good time, but I also kind of wanted other people to hear it too. You know, like, you got to check this out. It's just, you know, this is a blast. Almost like I was instigating a, a party type atmosphere, trying to, trying to spread that fun, that sound. It's, it's so contagious that like you kind of want to get it out there like hey check this out this is this is awesome i i know i I just think it's really interesting i shared it with a lot of friends hey i got a new workout album for you or you got to check this out just because i i feel like it's so unique and different that it's something people should experience whether they end up saying they like it or not it's it's just it's a fun it's a fun trip to go on well let's keep going on that trip here we're on the next song lightning riders yeah the good guys the good guys album of very catchy songs i don't know what's the most catchy but this one's got to be up there as evidenced by the fact that my first text to you when you picked this album for our podcast was i don't know if it's my style and then i think my next one was and now i glow in the dark (laughs) with a bunch of exclamation points and then followed up by like all right i'm starting to like this yep and um it's growing on you super super catchy this song yeah definitely a sing-along and this this is a, a positive song. We get introduced to the Lightning Riders, which going back to Aaron's fictitious characters, the Angel Miners are the bad guys, the inevitable evil in life that's always looming over you that can sneak up on you at any point. But the Lightning Riders are the people fighting for you, the, the people that, that have your back. He said that he came up with the idea of Lightning Riders when he was at a, a concert. He got the crowd to do the wave and he had them use either a lighter or their cell phone light app so that when they were doing the wave you would see the lights going up and down across the crowd so he he said it was almost like you're riding the waves of lightning hence the lightning riders that'd be fun as a if you're a big fan of this band and been following them for a while to be at that concert and maybe mm-hmm. be participating in that and then have the next album come out and I mean, it's almost like you helped him write the title of the album. Like you'd feel so proud to be like, oh yeah. man, I was one of yeah. those lightning writers. Exactly. That would be pretty yeah. a pretty cool connection to have with your favorite band. 
Yeah, he, he was quoted as saying, you know, when you're in a dark room, when the lights first turn off, it's scary. You're, you're going around like, I can't, I can't see shit. This is crazy. And then all of a sudden your eyes adjust and you can start to see in the dark. He said that's the metaphor that he's, he's going with in this song. There's these trying times in life where your direction is not very clear, either in this sense, physically you're in the dark and you can't see and it takes a while to adjust. Or, or maybe things just aren't making sense and you got to reflect on it for a while. And uh, the, the, the lightning riders, the idea that you have other people who are going through the same problems or challenges and that together we're one, we'll, we'll work through this. The first lyrics of the song say, you and me and everybody under the sun, we lightning riders, we lightning riders, we're one. I'm just blowing up, blowing up these bridges behind me. You hear the metaphor a lot of crossing that bridge, get it, getting over it. Um, as a, a way to symbolize that that you've you've moved beyond those struggles uh, that you've you've put the fire out uh, and uh, you're moving on you know um, to brighter pastures on the other side of that that bridge so I, I think clearly this song is is introducing the idea that that you can overcome evil and those are the lightning riders that help you do it yeah, you said put that fire out in your description and, and how specific that is to oh, yeah. one of the things that influenced him on this I didn't and then just overriding that. it. Yeah, and then, definitely. yeah, and then after it's put out, you and me and everybody under the sun, we were all now in this place of COVID-19 and shelter in place and doing right. all the things that we're trying to do to get through this together. Mm-hmm. And he, of course, didn't know that when he's writing these words, but to release it around that time, I think I had said that he kind made the decision prof- that... prophetic in that sense then. Right, yeah. He decided this is this is the perfect time to let this album loose on the world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's this sense of a renewed spirit or excitement that this this person has been going through some tough times. There's even that line that says maybe I'm I'm drowning in this atmosphere, swimming in circles for a couple years, and now I glow in the dark, like basically symbolizing they're stuck in this turmoil, and then all of a sudden they can see they figured out a way to get past this and move on, and there's this this rush of of excitement to to get after it and move forward, uh, and I really like that energy. I like that part at the end of verse one where he says, we're lightning riders, we won. And then he does the two, three, four. Yeah. I thought that was kind of cool. I wondered which way that went. Like if he knew that, oh, this this line's going to end on the one beat of this four bar measure. Maybe I should try to figure out how to work the word one into it. Mm-hmm. Or if he, I, I'm guessing it was the other way around. He He wrote that line. And then he thought, one, oh yeah, we're on the one beat, one, two, three, four. It just kind of all goes from there. Yeah, I think it's cool too how he was singing that that line in falsetto, and then he flips back down to his normal voice, and you hear the two, three, four. You know, like let's get it, let's go. You know, and that's when the music really picks up. Yeah, he did a pretty good job of that, but I don't know if he did as good as you when you sent me that text of you <laughs> dancing with the little glow. I, that was I, a lot I of fun. Okay. I, I had to do that. For for everybody listening, as we were getting ready to do this podcast, it was apparent that Shane was getting excited for our recording, and he sent a little video dance into this song. And where did you get this glow in the dark vest? <laughs> so that that's a a running vest uh, that you wear at night so cars can see you. My folks got it for me a couple years ago, and I haven't used it too much because I I have some 
glow in the dark attachments for my shoes and also some wrist devices that I wear when I'm running at night. Cause I like to run at night a lot, especially in the summer when it's hot back here. I like to run when it cools down. So they got me this vest because they're afraid that I was going to be out on the road and people wouldn't be able to see me. And so I, I just thought of that, how, how perfect that would be to, to sing along with the song and then flip the lights off and, and turn the vest on. <laughs> I feel like, uh, it was, it was marketed for running in the dark or biking, I suppose, but I think it would be a, a more useful tool for like going to a rave or something because it's like you got these glow sticks attached to your body. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I was hoping you were going to tell me it was from your raver days and I was going right, to yeah. get a cool story out of you here, but that's yeah. fine. No, no. That was that was fun. I'm glad you sent me Never that. Never had those. I always dreamed about going to a bunch of raves. I, I think I would have enjoyed that. All right, well, let's move on to track five. So thus far, we've been introduced to the bad guys, the good guys, and now here on track five, the song's called California Halo Blue, referencing those Woolsey fires that inspired the album itself. Let's take a listen. I thought I had until the morning and I know what to do. And she said, I packed the car and grabbed the dogs and packed up plenty of food. Don't worry. Grab your journals, pack your soul, and grab your favorite shoes. California! So as you mentioned already, Trevor, this song is reflecting on the night of the Woolsey fire in November of 2018. There's that there's that line that really sticks out at you as a listener where it says, remember, remember, remember. Him reflecting on what happened. According to Bruno, California Halo Blue refers to his thinking during the fires that potentially there would be this halo of water that would find its way over California and let that waterfall to put out the fires. He said he kept having this hopeful fantasy in his head. He was visualizing that that would happen. The the lyrics are, and she said, "I, I packed the car and grabbed the dogs and packed up plenty of food, don't worry, and grabbed your journals, grabbed your soul, and grabbed your favorite shoes really paints the picture of there's there's not really time to think about what you want to get when when the fires are moving in quickly you got to pack up you got to get out of there you got to save yourself but i'm sure there's this extremely difficult issue that you wrestle with in your head where you know what you got to do but you you probably feel like you have you have to go grab this stuff but you know you're leaving it behind and and uh you know, in the case of the California fires, a lot of times people had to clear out because there was anticipation that potentially the fires would spread to their neighborhood. So they did have warning in that sense and probably could grab some stuff. But at the same time, it's a, a really stressful situation. You're trying to get out of there and then to go somewhere and not know if, if your house is going to get hit, if you're going to return to all of your belongings being there or not and thinking, man, what if I what if I forgot my favorite pair of shoes? Or what if I well, I left something in there that mentioned I grabbed your soul? I mean, that could be referring to photos, memories, things that you, you really can't replace that maybe are wrapped up in that house. You know, to be thinking about that while also in this mindset that you got to get out of there. Uh, there. There's not really much closure when you're dealing with something like that. Yeah, this was my favorite one after having gone through the album in full. It grabbed me first, I think, lyrically because I knew at this point what this album was inspired by with those fires and this one's the most clearly based on that with the words like you said I packed the car grabbed the dogs packed plenty of food grabbed your journals grabbed your soul I think I think that's his um his wife on the phone talking to him if I remember right from reading something him just sort of remembering a call from her about this going oh, on wow. I think he was 
off on tour somewhere or something. And then um, she mm. was able, of course, get out of there. And that's that's the most important with her being okay. Their house was spared, which is good. But yeah, his studio just burned completely to the ground. And he said it was mm-hmm. like just ashes. Like it wasn't like, oh, there's a lot of damage to the studio. The studio was just gone um, by the time yeah. he got home. But it was pretty isolated there. So they didn't lose anything else, which is more fortunate that's than good. some people. Yeah. And in that case, the the equipment is replaceable. You know, hopefully he didn't have anything too sentimental. But you can't you can't replace the experiences, the feeling you get when you step foot in that place that's so meaningful to you. So to go back and know that it's not there, and for him, if he w- was on tour, as you mentioned, not really getting that that goodbye potentially. You know, I'm sure for a, a musician, somebody whose whose life is wrapped up in that studio, it'd, it'd be like if if you were I were to start a physical therapy clinic and we have our, our gym equipment and our, and our setup and it, it becomes a second home in a way because you spend so much time in that space and you get really invested in the process of creating that and making it your own. And then if somebody were to say, hey, we're moving on, we're going to tear this place down or it's got to go for whatever reason or something bad's going to happen, you would want to be able to kind of get that last mental imagery or a visual of you know the experience you've had to to think back one more time you know and for him to come back and just see it all to the ground it's uh i'm sure really tough yeah and musically this was really cool too we talked about those words maybe being from his wife on the phone i'm pretty sure i read that somewhere and they're a little bit more rushed like you might imagine somebody being if you're talking about a fire while it's happening and then when you get to the chorus it's just kind of slow and pretty and I imagine him driving away, maybe, and looking back at the that halo of blue. And it's almost like um, anthemic, the way that he sings that part, that California halo blue. I read, too, that he had some backup singers on this. He said, I was lucky enough to have four incredible women sing on the song that also sang for John Williams on some of the Star Wars movies. And you can hear them in the distance on the chorus, singing some notes that are so high it's unimaginable. He says, I originally wanted to get children to sing on that song for an innocent sadness, but those women were too good to be true. I think both would have been really amazing. I'd love to hear the children version of this. Yeah. I wanted to mention, too, once he gets down to the bridge part where he says that, remember, remember the 9th of November. That harkens back to the 17th century, actually. And there's a whole bunch of different rhymes that have survived in different parts of England. Most of them are saying, remember, remember the 5th of November, which is a reference to the gunpowder plot. And that was a plot that was centered around a group of Roman Catholic revolutionaries. They were furious at the persecution of their faith in England. And they hoped for better treatment from a new monarch, and that was James I after 45 years of hounding under the reign of Elizabeth I. And they decided on very drastic measures when things didn't improve under his reign. That's an interesting connection. I had never heard that in the past, but I wonder if he drew that from that or if it's a coincidence. Yeah, I'm imagining that he drew it from that. Yeah, that's cool. Another perfect example of how much you gain from dissecting an album and looking at some of those backstories, some of those 
lyrics that jump out at you where, where you where you wonder what uh, that might be referencing or, or the origin and the song as a whole California Halo Blue if you didn't know the backstory with the fire and the music studio burning down and you listen to this song there's no way you could ever make that connection when you know that deeper meaning and the, the connection to the artist that wrote the song and it, it takes on a, a whole nother level and you, you really appreciate the the song the lyrics a lot more yeah, and I don't think we explicitly said it. The the 9th of November, in reference to the Woolsey fires, was a significant day for them and also for him. The, the fires actually started on the 8th, but on November 9th, the fire chief announced that he was denied a request for additional strike teams, and that allowed the fire to spread. And it was also on the 9th that his wife had to run from their home to avoid those fires. Um, so that's why he includes that in this song. Mm-hmm. You notice at the end of the song how he changes the lyrics from... California Halo Blue to California Hang On Through? It's on the outro. So the chorus says California Halo Blue, California Hang On Through. And then the outro just says, yeah, hang on through, oh, Halo Blue. Yeah, I felt like it was more emphasized. It's more emphasized on the the outro. You're right. Yeah, where, where there's a real hopeful attitude toward the Halo Blue referring to potentially halos of water that would all of a sudden migrate over California and put out the fires that they would have a lot of rain in other words to maybe some realization that that's a lot of hope and that it's probably not going to happen and that uh, you know we need you to hang on hang on through you'll get through it we definitely have a a change in tone here from a, a real serious song in California Halo Blue to this next one titled Radical all right well we've reached the midway point of the album Let's flip the record over and continue. That's Radical. I mentioned the previous one was my favorite, California Halo Blue. When I texted you that, you threw out a couple that might be yours. You said this one, and then our second song, We Already Went Through Slam. Did you end up deciding which one's your favorite? You know, this one initially grabbed my attention because of the diversity in sound from start to finish. It really takes you on a ride from opening up with the, the chant of Radical, to then really soothing it out with with verse one and then almost chant like or anthemic in a way going through most of the song but then there's that bridge portion where it really slows down with the the oohs and the ahs and then it says everyone you know know will let you down it really slows down you almost feel like the song is over and then boom it picks up and it's back to the the chorus the, the hard beat The sound of this one really, really uh, stuck with me at first, and, and I would say this is my favorite. It might be a toss-up, but I really like Slam too because there's so much uniqueness to that sound that it, it really sticks out start to finish if I had to just pick a, a track that really grabbed my attention or that's going to stick with me years ahead. It'll probably be Slam because of those 
alien-like sounds in the background and, and how, how fun it is. So if I had to pick, I'd probably say Slam, but this one is this one is a very close second. This one's cool, too. If you, again, I mentioned at the beginning, this is an album you can just throw on and, and enjoy, and and it's it's great for that without having gone into the, the lyrics too much. And it's not like, you know, we're not, we're not talking about pet sounds here in terms of <laughs> going into the lyrics, but but there's a lot to be taken from the incident surrounding the album in terms of the fires and then learning a little bit about him. And a couple of those things are packed into this one. We talked about how this band has so many different styles and genres and in the chorus where he says, I'm not a rebel or a king, not sure they've got a name for me. Reminds me of us trying to come up with a name for whatever genre he, he is. Mm-hmm. And then in, in verse two, where he says, see, my left ear's weak, but my voice is loud. I'm a radical. Yeah. If you didn't know that he was 80% deaf in his left ear, you might kind of go, okay, I don't know what he's singing that for, but you know, it would yeah, just pass by or you wouldn't even hear it. But that's kind of cool to just throw little tidbits like that in this. Did you notice at the beginning of the song, the opening line, how he changed the accent on the word radical? I think I missed that. So that that caught my attention right away, and I thought that was really cool. He says, radical, 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 radical. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, and, and so he's putting that accent on the the second syllable instead of the first, the way we would phonetically pronounce that word. So I thought that was that was clever already since the track is titled radical and i guess in a way he's being radical by choosing to pronounce that word how he wants instead of the way it's supposed to be pronounced he sums it up pretty well in, in an interview uh what the song uh means to him he says it's it's really sarcastic um uh, i don't belong to any one group or ideal and maybe that makes me not necessarily radical you know i'm a surfer too so ever since i was a kid in the 80s Getting radical or being radical was not a political thing. It meant pushing limits. It's it's more of a sarcastic party anthem. The the fantasy of only having one night to do something out of your, your comfort level. Basically saying he doesn't really feel like he fits in with people, so maybe that makes him different. Maybe that makes him kind of radical, but in a way it's not so much radical because other people probably share that same opinion and, and he's a part of certain groups as well. But basically the, the song centers around the idea of as he said, if you had one night or one opportunity to uh, get out of your comfort zone and, and do something a little crazy, a little wild, be radical, get after it. So that's maybe part of what uh, spoke to me as well. Just that, um, in a way, rebellious or against the norms mentality of of not fitting in with the pack, but being yourself and pushing the limits, being a little radical. I like that. This song maybe sounded like it could be the most pop-oriented song to me. It seems like it's maybe the least jarring or offensive um, in terms of its sound. I feel like I could hear this on a lot of different radio stations. Yeah, especially that, ooh, na-na-na-na, help me, help me. Ooh, right, right, yeah. na help me. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's catchy. Help me sing. Very sing-songy. I wasn't a big fan of that part myself, but definitely kind of sing-songy. And Yeah, I, I wouldn't like that if that were the focus of the song, yeah. but then... Now, there's some irony to it, too, because then he goes back to, I'm not a rebel or a king. Dun, 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 dun. You know, so it's kind of foo-foo for a minute, but then, you know, in your face again, too. 
So back to the overall feeling of the, the music and the album as a whole, taking you on this ride of, of sounds, a lot of ups and downs. This song symbolizes that too, where you're not force-fed a certain genre or sound for too long. So at the end of listening to this song, or, or a lot of the songs of the album as a whole, you can't really say, oh, that was to this or to that, or I don't like it because it fits here, or it fits there, or whatever. I mean, if you're a fan of music in general, then I, I challenge you to listen to this album start to finish and not be able to at least say, okay, I really like that song or this song for this reason or whatever, because it, it really covers everything that somebody would want to hear. It's very radical in that sense. What a radical thought. <laughs> radical. Radical thought. Yeah. Right. All right. Well, let's move on to the next track. We're on to track seven now. This song is called Battered Black and Blue, in parentheses, Hole in My Heart. I've got a bone to pick with happiness. My DNA is open for review. I've got a bone to pick with suffering. My DNA is battered black and blue. I've got a hole in my heart. Hole in my heart. Now you see. This song was a lot of fun for me as well, and it continued on that that contrast in musical style and, and sound from some real hard rock, intense, anger-filled uh, moments where, where the vocals are in your face to some parts where it really softens a lot. The ability to, to have the pace be so fast and, and uh, intense to then abruptly uh, bring you back down, soften it up a little bit. I think it's really cool. That's one thing that stands out that I, I've emphasized a few times here about Aaron Bruno's music. Uh, but this one is really cool where, you know, he's almost angry saying, I've got a bone to pick with happiness. My DNA is open for review. I've got a bone to pick with suffering. My DNA is battered black and blue. That's pretty intense. And, and he sings it that way. And then in the chorus, it really mellows out and becomes softer. And he, he says, I've got a hole in my heart, a hole in my heart. Now you see right through. So it, it's um, a contrast in sound and also in the person in the beginning of the song appearing to be a little bit closed off and angry and maybe not, not willing to accept some of the underlying reasons for, for why they feel that way, for why they got a bone to pick with happiness and, and with suffering. You know, they're kind of upset. Uh, but then in the chorus, when it gets softer musically, he also admits that he has a hole in his heart and you can see through and so there's this this willingness to maybe look at some of those uh, underlying feelings. And I think the music does a good job to portray that uh, dynamic as well. Definitely a lot of dynamic changes in this one. That hole in my heart part is such a like poppy, he almost has like kind of a gentle, sweet sound to his voice when he's yeah. singing the hole in my heart. It almost sounds like something you'd hear out of like a boy band or a um, right. yeah. you know, 90s pop artist. And then to have that and then hit those screams that he has on the fix me part on verse oh, man. three is yeah. uh, quite a contrast and made this song kind of cool. You see, I'm better black and blue. Come on, come on, it's fast now. I'm better black and blue. Come on, come yeah, Aaron said in reference to some of those lyrics, this is an examination of myself taken from an out-of-body experience uh, that I had looking at myself from a distance and admitting that 
I felt really heartbroken about what I'd been through with the fire, but at the same time, it's just admitting and, and being transparent about the fact that I felt broken in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And again, as we've discussed so many times, if you don't know the backstory of the album, haven't taken the time to explore that or listen to our podcast and get that information from us, then this song's not going to stick with you as much. And a lot of the songs from this album and from other albums that we covered probably aren't going to mean as much. You're not going to internalize them and, and remember them because there's not as many details or connections that you can make. But when you connect this back to the, the fire, I mean, it, it's very easy to, to empathize with somebody who's outraged and pissed off and, and wants to just throw things. Yeah. So when he says it's like an out of body experience, he says, looking at myself from a distance. Yeah. It's like sometimes you, if you sit down to write about how you're feeling, maybe you're not really aware in the moment of how you're feeling. And he writes these words out and then he's kind of looking at it almost transcendently going, oh man, like clearly I'm wrecked from this situation, which would make sense. I mean, that, that was a tough thing to have gone through. All right. Well, I think we are ready to move on to track number eight. This one is titled Pacific Coast Highway in the Movies. And there's a guest appearance from Rivers Cuomo of the band Weezer. Pacific Coast Highway California references in this one with the title Pacific Coast Highway. Have you driven down Pacific Coast Highway? Oh yeah, many times. It's beautiful. It's a pretty drive for sure. He's got an interesting voice effect on the song on, at the beginning. Did you catch that? I'm not sure if I did. His voice is always all over the place, so maybe I missed it. Yeah, kind of a um, sort of muted at the beginning or something. Oh yeah. Yeah, I, I got you. How it's it's uh, it, it has that that uh, spatial effect to it. I think would maybe be the right yeah. word. Where the the music's not coming right at your face. It's almost like it's in an echo chamber, and you're just getting you know you're getting it bouncing off the walls. Yeah, just at the beginning, and then it goes yeah, back into yep. normal. Musically, I, I thought this song kind of felt like. An escape from reality, especially after some of the intense undertones of of uh, the last track, reaching out for help, saying I'm a mess, I, I can't take this. There's an element of of fantasy in, in this song and the movie. But if you look through the lyrics, it's it's not all good. He says, "I felt like such a stranger from my head to my feet, my silver screen, my misery, my love, my defeat. You promised me sunshine. Why is it so gloomy?" Maybe that's the realization that that California and the Pacific Coast Highway and this this idea of total happiness and sunshine and beaches and the ocean that we might see in the movies is not always the reality. Bad things happen too. All all the fires that California faces year after year that seems to be getting worse and worse. And uh, so maybe that's the idea that you know we want to escape and just focus on all the good that we see in the movies, but. It's not always uh, so rosy. Yeah, it's almost like he feels like he's, he got tricked a little bit by the yeah right by California. Did you watch the music video for this one? No, actually, they got a lot of music videos for this album. It's pretty cool. It, 
it, it shows this this car going down Pacific Coast Highway, almost like uh, an animated type movie, like you're like you're watching uh, an old Atari game or arcade game, and there's this car driving down Pacific Coast Highway. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. All right, I'm going to be a little controversial on this song. All right. Yeah. I think we were talking about, so he's got Rivers featured in this song, and you'd right. ask me if I'm a Weezer fan, and I, I said, yeah, you know, they're okay. I, I like their first two albums all right. I was never a, a huge fan, and then I they kind of lost me after that to the point where I kind of didn't really like them much. But I wouldn't have ever walked around saying, oh, I can't stand Weezer, but... I have to say, I'm I'm not a fan of Rivers' vocal contribution to this song. I, I just think no? it's it, it, the affect is too cheesy for me for some reason. I, I couldn't I couldn't get behind it. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's what he was going for, though. I'm challenge you a little bit because Aaron said that he's known Rivers for quite some time. They uh, met when Aaron was 15 at a festival in Canada, and they remained friends over the years and are still friends today. And they even worked on some music together, uh, attempting to do a project, but nothing really developed out of it. But he said when, when he wrote this song, he heard Rivers in it you know the way he wanted to get that message across in the lyrics he said there was nobody better than than him to do that part so maybe that maybe that fits into the the theme of the song with with the fantasy and how it's kind of superficial and fake and how the way the words are talking about shiny things to stop my tears and you know sleeping in a chandelier last night looking on the bright side you know it's uh it's very um over the top, if you will, and maybe maybe that's maybe that's what he directed Rivers to sing like in that meeting. Maybe he wanted it to be yeah, a little bit yeah, cheesier possibly. over the top because yeah. he's talking about superficial things when he's singing. Right, yeah, I, to I contrast some of the other bit. ideas. Yeah, maybe. How about the end though, when uh, when they 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 sing the the yas and the the o's and oos that that part, and even before that, when they're singing together uh, with all the what does it say? Do you belong? La 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 la. Did you at least musically appreciate that duet they did there at the end? He, you know, he he was enough. Uh, he was blended in enough with that one that it didn't stick <laughs> out like a sore thumb to me, like the his uh, solo yeah. on verse three did. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. This song didn't didn't stick out as uh, being one that I'll remember. You know, it was kind of a filler track, but um, I thought it, it I thought it fit well. It was. It was a good place on the album to have something a little bit quieter and softer, more stripped down, give you a break from from the intensity. Well, it picks up a little bit of the intensity again on the next yes, song. It does. This one's called Half Italian. Track nine. I'm sorry, man. I'm half Italian. I hope you can approve. I'm sorry, man. God darn it, gosh damn. Somebody I'm 
right, they definitely pick up the pace in this song. Bruno said he came up with the idea for this song while he was on a walk with his wife and father-in-law. He, he knew how he wanted the riff to go and how he wanted the cadence to be. So he ended up going to a corner under a tree and he recorded the entire song right there on his phone. Uh, he, he's referred to the song as his little temper tantrum moment on the record. An exercise in apologizing for not apologizing. This is the song that, of course, if you go into a record store to buy stuff, I don't know if they still put the parental advisory sticker on stuff or not, but this is the one where he first drops the F-bomb. And I thought it was kind of funny because um, we're almost done with the album, and this is where he, he gets to that point. I think the last couple songs he does that. Yeah, But yeah. leading up to it, he, he has like almost... Um, innocent swearing he's like he said god darn it gosh gosh damn you know like it's like uh right if you didn't want to cuss maybe you'd say darn and gosh yeah um and then so i thought okay maybe he just doesn't doesn't curse (laughs) and then he's uh saying now now i'm no fucking good i was like okay so he purposefully wanted one to contrast the other another another catchy chorus with the you are not alone. I'm emotional. Maybe too emotional, but oh, I like yeah, it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I really like the <laughs> no, chorus like on the this song. The way he's that... pushing those words forward. Yeah, you can't help but sing along. This is a really unique song because the chorus is really cool, like you're describing there. And then the verses are like kind of jarring and militant. It almost sounds like a drill sergeant. But he, yeah. but he has kind of like a sarcasm in his voice that almost sounds like he's making fun of it. And at one point, his voice even cracks, and he just left it in there. So it sounds like he's just kind of like almost losing it. I know we get closer to the end of the album where he really kind of loses it at the end. Yeah. But it sounds like you can start seeing the cracks happen in this one, and I thought it was a cool decision to leave that voice crack in that song. Mm -hmm. Why do you think he chose the title Half Italian? I didn't really see the significance of that or get get any explanation through the song. I think he only mentions that once, if at all. I don't even know. He mentions it in there. Um, he says... Oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm half Italian. I hope you can approve. Yeah, so I, yeah. I don't know the significance of that. I'm guessing he must be half Italian. Yeah, but, and but the why? Chorus why says, highlight that? Well, in the chorus he says, you're emotional, maybe too emotional, but I love you. Italians are known for being emotional people. Yeah, for being kind of uh, loud and... Uh, hard on your sleeve. Yeah, just yeah, yeah, sort of yeah. boisterous and whatnot. So I, I think that's what he's trying to say. He, he's he's sort of, like I said, it sounds kind of sarcastic in the verses where he says, I'm sorry, man, I'm half Italian. hope you can approve. I, I don't think he's actually sorry. I think no. he's kind <laughs> of joking like... Um, right sorry what are you gonna do it sounds like the verses are like him to the outside world saying leave me alone what are you gonna do this is me and then the chorus is kind of inside of his head saying like maybe i am too emotional i am emotional yeah so he's like the self-conscious part is is the chorus and then i think the outward expression of like leave me alone don't criticize me is what he's actually saying to the world Yes, ironic. You you mentioned it's almost like he's in his head because in the next track, that's how it starts out, saying, I am in my head. I am in my head. That's a good point. Let's listen to the last (laughs) track. This is called I'm a Wreck, track 10. I am in my head forevermore. I am. 
So this one starts off really quiet, but even on the quiet songs, it's still got that drive behind it. So we talked about this is good workout music, or in your case, PR, your lawn mowing music. <laughs> yeah. But also, it can just be like good driving, literally driving music, because it's got that driving beat behind it, even though the vocals are a little bit quieter and it's a little bit more slower pace at the beginning. So there's no point in this album where it just gets really sleepy and and loses its momentum, I think. Even the quiet parts keep that momentum going. And then, of course, picks up really heavy at the end of this song. Yeah, as you mentioned in track nine, it almost gave you the sense that he was in his head. And then here, he explicitly says that, I am in my head forevermore. Run, run, I'm a reckless wrecking ball. Oh my, what the heck? Don't worry, it's nothing personal. Sometimes I'm a wreck. You know, that that idea of the uh, the wrecking ball, which can be still and motionless and not really harming but then if you wind it up and you let it go it can and really be destructive uh, i think he's he's saying bear with me here this is tough and, and sometimes i'm gonna i'm gonna freak out and let my emotions get out of control but um don't worry you know it's it's nothing personal it's it's just me going through a hard time yeah and this is another one too where in the quieter part he says oh my what the heck which is like a, a very tame way of cursing mm-hmm and so I thought, okay, he's back to using those words until the end when he starts screaming yeah. fuck over and over again. Right, yeah. You know, it's kind of funny. When I, when I first listened to this album, I was, I was really into it. I, I was loving it. So much energy, and I really felt alive. I was working out. Well, the first time I was, I was mowing the yard, and then I, I listened to it the second time during a workout. I probably listened to it three or four times before I went through with headphones and the lyrics in front of me. And I, I kept being thrown for a loop on this this uh, last song because in my head, I, at the end there, I was I was hearing him say, fat motherfucker, you know who you are. <laughs> Terrible actor, you know who you are. And I'm like, whoa, that came out of left field. What is he talking about? And I'm, I'm, I'm not at all in support of calling out overweight people or, or uh, making fun of them. And so... <laughs> I was like, man, this is this is challenging. Maybe maybe I should pick a different album because uh, this this is not something I really want to want to uh, <laughs> talk about or highlight on our on our podcast. But then I I looked back at the lyrics and it's actually fake motherfucker. You know who you are, terrible actor. So I was like, oh okay. Somehow I have to understand these lyrics uh, to get past this this screamo shouting ending of the album. Otherwise, it's going to ruin it for me. <laughs> motherfucker you know who you are terrible actor yeah so I'm like, you were just thinking maybe about? um you're just thinking maybe he watched a john candy movie and just yeah, didn't, didn't like his performance know. in uncle buck or something or, or maybe uh maybe one of the um the angel miners was like one of his neighbors or friends or somebody that's just been like his arch nemesis or something and he happened to be overweight and he's thrown out there like you know who you are i'm talking to you you know but Oh my gosh, I'm glad that hilarious. wasn't the case because I wasn't going to be able to figure that out. So I, I think actually after looking at the lyrics, 
I almost wonder if he's pointing the finger back at himself. You know, because in the bridge before that, he says, Midnight at the park, my eyes have adjusted, now I can see in the dark. And that was a, a theme from before, a metaphor for being lost and confused. And then all of a sudden you can see and you have this clear path forward. But then he goes into saying, fake motherfucker, terrible actor. You know who you are. I can't take it anymore. You know who you are. And then at the end, it's just, God, fuck, angel miners and the lightning riders. Basically, like the closure is that, okay, I'm not, I'm not done with this. I'm not, I'm not through it either. This specific incident is still affecting me a lot, or it's, it's the acceptance that there's always going to be this tug of war between good and evil between uh the lightning riders and the angel miners and uh, sometimes maybe he's faking it maybe he's he's uh he's acting he's trying to pretend that things are okay when they're really not and um there's that that fight that you're you're constantly dealing with whatever it is in your life that i think is is really exposed here as kind of the the takeaway theme or conclusion that he wants you to you know get from the album yeah, I think you're right on because there's a quote where he says this is the final fight between the two sides, the angel miners and ah, lightning riders. Nice. He says it's not clear who wins. We all have our demons and dragons right. we chase yeah. or have to confront. So this is the final moment where good faces evil. Oh, interesting. That kind of brings us full circle back to, is it the, the, the second song? Yeah, in Slam, you know, when he says, me and my angels, we can do the twist. You know, you, you had mentioned that he's basically saying, okay, I see you, you're there. You know, if, if, if you're going to be there, maybe we can coexist. Maybe we can, we can tangle a little bit. The music makes you, makes you feel like he's okay with that. Like, all right, let's do this. I see you, you, you know, yeah, you're going to be yin and yang. It's all good. Floating yeah. over me. Yeah. Right. So, so at the end, he comes back to that idea of, all right, these guys are going to be there, but that's okay. Cause I, I got me and my lightning riders. We're going to, we're going to be together and we're going to take these guys on and and hopefully good prevails uh, more than the other way around. The buildup was cool, too, because, yeah, it starts off kind of quiet. I mentioned it still has that driving beat in the background, so it never loses its momentum, but it is pretty subdued and quiet. And then it doesn't just go straight into the loud part. It builds. It's got some strings in this song. I, yeah, I'm trying yeah, to remember yeah. if there's strings in any other song. I, I think maybe this is the first time, but it's a slow buildup to that part where he's screaming to end the album. Yeah. Gosh, now that now that I think about it, we didn't we didn't mention all the instruments that make an appearance on this album. You know, there's just so much being thrown at you musically in the lyrics. And, and the sounds that it's kind of difficult to put your, your your finger on it and say like, well, man, this song is really driven by the guitar or the drums or, or the bass or whatever. But I think the best way to describe it is just that there's this, this very unique uh, play of sounds together uh, mixed with the music and the lyrics that you know, takes you on this fun, fun journey. It's a, it's a good experience almost. Uh, I feel like for those listeners who haven't uh, listened to the album uh, prior to this this podcast, you know, having this background information sh- should hopefully uh, spike the, the the curiosity and uh, give some context to the album. But then, you know, it's something that I think doing a first listen through without having a, an idea of the sound in your head, what it's supposed to sound like based on what you know about it, but we, what we've talked about uh, will kind of be a fun experience because I, I don't know if you can really predict how this is supposed to sound. Unless you're an AWOL fan and you've heard them in the past, then you know 
there's probably going to be some unique sounds and, and uh, different vibes thrown in there. But um, this, I just feel like it's for most listeners, especially if you're not an AWOL fan, this is going to be a, a, a brand new music experience for you, whether you end up liking it or not. It's fun. It's, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I agree. And I ended up liking it. I think the reason I ultimately yeah, liked it right. is yeah, you, you converted me for sure. It, it's not something I would initially listen to. And I think one of the things that's I'm discovering about doing these deep album dives and hearkening back to it. I mentioned one of the reasons I want to get back into this experiencing music like this is because I remember as a kid, you you're committed to an album, you know, you go buy it at the store and you're going to listen to it. Not only because it's a pretty good chunk of your change when you're a kid, but also you don't have the internet in your car. You can't switch over to something else. You're going to listen to it. And then the other thing that comes with that is nowadays it's both good and bad. There, there's so much music. You got guys making music in their home studio mm-hmm. and yep. putting it out there. You know, I've got friends that make music that I can find on Spotify and Tidal and all the places I find music. And they're not making a living doing it, but their music's still out there. And that's awesome for them. But on the other hand, as a consumer, it's pretty overwhelming. And so what I tend to do now is kind of narrow it down. You know, I'm looking through things going, all right, well, this is a singer-songwriter. He's kind of like this other artist I like. Maybe I'll commit my time to that. In just reading the description of this band, this would just not be one I would take the time to listen to. I think I would pass over and go like, all right, well, I don't know if it's good or not, but there's a thousand other albums that are going to be released this year. I got to, I yeah. got to find something right. I go through the weeds and find something that I'm probably going to connect with mm-hmm. more than likely. And it's good. On the one hand, you've got a lot of information prior to listening to something, but on the other hand, it doesn't force you to go out of your comfort zone. Like it might've when you were younger, where you just commit to buying an album, you probably only heard one song. It was probably on MTV or on the radio and you don't know anything else unless your buddy bought it ahead of you. Right. You're yeah. you're stuck with it. And so committing to doing this podcast on this album meant that that was the case for me on this one. And I ended up liking I think it stretched my horizons a little bit. And so it was just really fun. There I can't think of an album that every single song got stuck in my head <laughs> like this one. I I think every single song on this album could be something that you are humming or thinking about as your day goes on. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was really a, a surprise for me as well. Like I said, I didn't know the band AWOL Nation very uh, well before, except for Sale and, and a couple other previous hits of theirs that I, that I think I had heard once or twice. But I, I saw it on the list of new albums that had come out in 2020, and I wanted to change the direction a little bit of the podcast or, or throw throw a, a, a genre or, or sound in there that, that uh, was different than some of the music that we've covered so far. And based on what i remembered about the song sale i had a feeling that that these guys might be the the band that could throw throw a, another element into our podcast and uh, i was i was pleasantly surprised with with the album start to finish i really enjoyed it you know if it weren't for this podcast i i, I probably would have never explored these guys uh, i mean even if i wanted to hear music of this caliber if i if i was wanting to work out or um, do something where i wanted it to be a little bit more upbeat uh, a few years ago, I might have I might have uh, gone to Spotify and found the the song Sale, and then uh, went to uh, play radio, you know, based on that song. And I might have heard a couple more AWOL songs, but I would have heard a variety of songs that sound like that song, and it would have given me that same experience. But I wouldn't have been able to add a band uh, to my 
my musical uh, knowledge or, or uh, familiarity. You know, I definitely did that with with AWOL Nation with this with this album. I, I uh, have been through a couple of their older albums uh, while working out as well. Not a deep dive, but I, I know them well enough now because of this project that uh, I can consider myself a fan. And uh, I'm gonna pay attention to what they release in the future and track them. And and hopefully, once we get past all this uh, COVID nineteen crap, we can see them in concert. I think that'd be a blast. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, going to an AWOL concert and they did just this album, uh, start to finish, how, how fun that would be for us to be there and be able to, to dance and, and sing along. And maybe I'll wear my, my glow stick vest thing and just have a heck of a time. I feel like that'd be, <laughs> that'd be so much fun. I'll, uh, I'll become a lightning writer if we do that for sure. <laughs> you think this is an album that, that you'll pull out in the future? Is, I mean, is there a time and a place where you're like, man, I, I got to go back and revisit that AWOL nation? definitely for certain occasions. I, I see this one, I mentioned the workout and the driving mm-hmm. as the two things that come to mind for me, especially like a night drive. Yeah. Of course, there's so much California sound on this one and, and me living in the Bay Area. I could see myself during the daylight driving down the coast or something like that, listening yeah. to some of these too. So it doesn't right. have to be night, but there's a lot of songs that make me think of like a night drive. So I could see myself doing some night driving, definitely some some working out to this, this album. And because I'm kind of a hipster music snob, typically, I'm usually gravitating toward more of the like singer-songwriter stuff, a little bit more folksy. Yeah, right. Maybe yeah. kind of the more like artsy rock stuff that doesn't have a clear beat and it's hard mm-hmm. to work out or move to. So I kind of need more of this stuff in my arsenal. So that's where yeah, I see yeah. this. Yeah, and, and another reason why I, I wanted to go this route, at least explore is to see if I thought it was good enough to make the grade for our podcast is that... I thought it would be a little different. I thought the focus would be on on the music and, and less about diving into complicated lyrics and and uh, you know having heart to heart talks and uh, difficult themes that, as we've seen on some of our previous albums that we've reviewed. But after diving into the album, I discovered that this this was. Hey Mooney, how's it going? <laughs> he always makes an appearance. This was a <laughs> this was a, a a concept album as well. I mean, centered around uh, a very difficult time in in Aaron, Aaron's life, his his wife, of course, too, and and everybody else in California in the area that was dealing with with these fires, uh, and then the the underlying theme of of good versus evil and wrestling with you know the, the struggles and good times, the highs and lows of life. On first listen through, or if you're not really paying attention to the lyrics too much, you could say, you know, what's there going to be to talk about on an album like this on a on a podcast where we usually ramble for a couple hours? But um, when you when you dive into the lyrics and, and the background and the history, you know, there's always something to be found in the music. So I guess my my point is that if something comes across as more superficial and fun and something you just play at a party but not too meaningful, you know, give it a chance. Take a look at the lyrics like we've done here and. You might be surprised. I'm glad I stumbled upon it. I found this really cool review that I wanted to read really quick. It's by Neil Z. Jung of All Music. He said, Following a staggering loss and period of reflection and rebuilding, AWOL Nation returned with their vibrant fourth album, Angel Miners and the Lightning Riders. Taut and technicolor, the set is a rebirth of sorts for main man Aaron Bruno, who lost his home studio during the 2018 Malibu wildfires, which he memorialized on California Halo Blue. Starting fresh without expectations or pressure, 
Bruno ended up crafting in an energetic, fun, and compulsively listenable set that distills the best of what AWOL Nation can do, making pop-savvy, dance-friendly alternative rock anthems that are not bound by traditional genre conventions. Like a buoyant blend of 21 pilots and 9-inch nails that's been blasted with California sunlight, ocean waves, there's a lot going on here, but it all works. There isn't a dud to be found on this album, and it's refreshing to see Bruno allow for some lighthearted fun, cathartic vulnerability, and spatial experimentation after three LPs worth of hardened, overly aggressive, and self-serious hard rock anthems. Wow. That's fantastic. That kind of sum, I, I couldn't have said up. that yeah. better. Yeah, that sums it up very well. I mean, what, one thing I, I, I took away from this that uh, piggybacks off of everything that review uh, mentioned is the fact that Aaron Bruno had this renewed sense of, of self. He was He was challenging, questioning, trying to overcome the fires and the loss of his music studio. But in a way, it, it almost led to uh, a birth of this album and this, this self-imposed challenge to create music, to create a new album with the mindset that he's never had any success in the past and to avoid being stagnant or falling into the temptation as we've seen so many artists do in the past where they build on those few songs that became radio hits, that became mainstream, and they slowly trail off into one certain genre to appeal uh, to a certain group of people. It seems like he basically said, okay, we're starting fresh. I lost my studio. Let's metaphorically lose the music, lose the success, lose everything that I've built with AWOL Nation up to this point, and, and let's let's start over too with the music. Let's say... This is our first album we're releasing. Let's make sure we get all the sounds out there. Let's let's make make a name for ourselves and, and really put together a good product uh, for people and uh, kind of see if we can reinvent ourselves and also, uh, in a way, affirm that what we did before was not a not a fluke. That that we do still have this ability to create really unique sounding music, good music that's not just repeating the past, but that's still kind of pushing that that issue of, of of being radical forward and, and uh, it's kind of setting the bar higher. Yeah, that's very well said. It's a good example of a limitation, almost giving you some freedom to stretch yourself and do something different. I think about that with the fires that led to the creation of this album, as well as the lack of his ability to hear fully in his left ear as maybe being a creative outlet for him deciding how he wants to mix things. Things end up a little bit more on the right channel for him for reasons we described. So that idea of a limitation giving you some sort of creativity or stretches you in a way that it wouldn't exist otherwise and kind of a metaphor for what we're all going through right now with with covid as the dust settles and we see where we're at and where things are moving in the future hopefully it breeds a little creativity makes people reevaluate what's important in their lives um, and maybe something good can arise from the fire so to speak that we're all going through right now good connection to what we're going through today Awesome. Well, I think we're ready to wrap this one up. That was a that was a fun album. Nice having that discussion with you, Trevor. All right. Well, until next time, go listen to a good album. If you are enjoying listening to Album Divers, you can support our podcast by subscribing, reviewing, and sharing it with someone else that appreciates great music. Follow and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Album Divers. We'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback about our take on an album that you already loved or had never heard before. Do you have an album you want us to dive into? 
email us at albumdiverspodcast at gmail.com and we'll consider adding it to our queue for a future episode. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you never stop discovering music that moves you to dive deeper. Until next time. <laughs>